0: Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had taken him down from there. The Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him, and how the Lord had caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in the sight in his sight and became his personal servant. And he made him overseer of his house and all that he owned he put in his charge. It came about that from that time he made him overseer in the house and in his house and over all that he owned the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge. And with him, there did not, he did not concern himself with anything except the food which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. It came about after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph. And she said, lie with me. But he refused. And he said to his master's wife, behold, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. And he has put all thing, all that he owns in my charge. There is no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he did not listen to her, to lie beside her or be with her. Now it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the household of the household was there inside. She caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. When she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, she called to the men of her household and said to them, see, he has brought in a Hebrew to us to make sport of us. He came into me to lie with me. And I screamed. When he heard that I raised my voice and screamed. He left his garment beside me and fled and went outside. So she left his garment beside her until her master, his master, came home. Then she spoke to him with these words. The Hebrew slave whom you brought to us came in to me to make sport of me. And as I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. Now, when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spoke to him, saying, this is what your slave did to me, his anger burned. So Joseph's master took him and put him into the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the jail. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. The chief jailers committed To Joseph's charge, all of the prisoners who were in the jail, so that whatever was done, he was responsible for it. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge, because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. This is the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we thank you now and ask that you would give listening to our ears, understanding to our minds, Belief to our heart and action to our feet and hands. We pray that you would be with us now, Lord, as we consider your word. Lord, I decrease that you may increase, become glorified and more in our life, we pray, for Christ's sake and for our good. Amen. Please be seated. Brothers and sisters, We sometimes hear people say, God be with you. It is a benediction that I often say at the end of every one of my sermons. The grace of the Lord be with you. Go on in the grace of the Lord God be with you. It is a prayer and it is a blessing. But what do we mean when we say, God be with you? We know that God is present everywhere. We know that God is omnipresent, that is. That there is nowhere that God is not. And in that sense, he is with every human being, because he is everywhere. But when we say, God be with you, we are not necessarily thinking of the general omnipresence of God. I think rather we are thinking of the Loving, kind presence of God. That God be with you in a loving and kind way. The presence of God be a help to you. The presence of God bless you even. And that is, brothers and sisters, one of the most glorious promises of the scriptures. From God to his people. That he is with us. That God is with us. Before the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ said to his disciples, Surely, I am with you always, even until the very end of the age. The promise of the personal presence of God was given to Joseph's father. Jacob, in Genesis 28 and verse 15, You will remember that it was while Jacob was in the midst of a crisis that the Lord said to Jacob, I'm with you. I'm going with you. The Lord promised to be with Jacob. And in being with Jacob, the Lord would watch over Jacob wherever, wherever he went. God with us. What does that mean? Let me ask you, is God only with us during those mountaintop experiences that we have in our lives? You know those moments. Those moments in our lives that we need to call someone and just tell them about the good thing that has just happened to us. Is God with us only then? What about the times that are particularly normal in our lives? The times when you are going to work as you normally do. Times that you are making food as you normally do. Is, Is God with us during those times? Yes, he is. But what about times of darkness? We can all attest God has done something great when we want to call someone and tell them about the great blessing that we've just experienced. We know that God is generally with us in the day-to-day ordinary things of our lives. But is God with us in darkness and pain? Is God with us when there is difficulty all around? Is God with us when we are confused? Is God with us when we are At our wits end, if you will. Are there exceptions to times that God is with us and times that God is not? This morning, we would like to look at the life of Joseph and see how God was with this man at all times. And in looking at the life of Joseph, we are rolling back the clock some 22 years, right down to the time that Joseph was sold into slavery. If you remember last week, we said that where we would last left Joseph in Genesis chapter 37, it was as if the, the lens of Scripture is following Joseph until he disappears into the distance. And then the lens of the Scriptures focuses its attention on Judah. And we follow Judah for the next 20 years. We've seen that Judah became a, a man that God converted, that God turned from his sins that this one through whom the Messiah would come would be be, uh, become aware of his unrighteousness and that he needed a righteousness that was found outside of himself. In the 38th chapter, we are given the account of this wicked man who was converted by the grace of God, Judah. And now the scriptures are turning their attention back to Joseph. The The camera lens, if you will, is turning back to Joseph, the man who will be tested, the man whose faith will be tested. And we are turning back 22 years to the time when Joseph was just a 17-year-old boy, young man, if you will, being sold into slavery. He would be taken to Egypt, taken away from the Promised Land. And verse 1 of chapter 39 says that he was bought by someone. Let's not allow that phrase, that that statement of truth to just pass by our minds very easily. Joseph, a man made in the image of God, was sold like a piece of cattle. Joseph, a man made in the image of God, was purchased by another man and sold to another man. This is forbidden in the law of God. Slavery has never been accepted by God. Slavery has never been something that God has approved of. It is a sin against God. And here is Joseph. He would have been presented on possibly some kind of platform. And presented by people to be inspected. They would have walked up to this man. They would have felt his his arms and his legs. They would have seen how strong he was. They would have looked at his teeth. They would have asked him about his ability to speak and read. And he would have been sold to the highest bidder. It is a shameful practice. Joseph, the boy who was chosen by his father to be the leader of his brothers, was now at, at this point the lowest point of his life. Separated from his father. Separated from the people of God. Separated from the promises of God, if you will, or at least the the hearing of the promises of God. And yet one thing that stands out that we are told about Joseph in the 39th chapter is this. That God was with him. In spite of all of these difficulties, the banner over Joseph's life was this. That God was with him. And this morning... With God's help, we shall consider God with Joseph and God with us. Let's consider our first point. Number one, God with Joseph in difficult providences. God with Joseph in or with through difficult providences. This begins in chapter 37, verse 36, and then chapter 39, verse 1 and 2a. Again, Joseph, 17 years years old, far from home, a stranger in a different land. And the scriptures tell us without emotion, I might say, that he was sold into slavery. And what a sad, difficult start to this chapter. This man who had been given dreams... The man who would be called to be a great leader. The man who was chosen by his father. The man who had dreams that his father and his brothers would come and bow down to him one day. was being sold like cattle into slavery. Joseph was sold to a man named Potiphar. He was the captain of the bodyguards. Captain of the bodyguards would be equivalent to the head of the FBI or the head of the CIA. He was in charge of those who guarded Pharaoh. He would have come to Joseph, examined him and purchased him at a price that would have been profitable for the Israelites. And what an apparent, and I'm using that word uh, purposely, what an apparent tragedy from Joseph's perspective. Joseph does not have the scriptures that you and I have in our laps. Joseph is experiencing these things as they happen. And yet the scriptures are quick to remind us at each turn that God was with him. In fact, the most notable note that is struck from the beginning verses of chapter 39 is not that Joseph had gone down to Egypt. It is not that Joseph was sold to Potiphar. It was that in the midst of this difficult providence that God had not abandoned him. That God was with him. Brothers and sisters, we know what God was doing with Joseph. But Joseph did not know what God was doing with Joseph. Joseph, again, was seeing these things happen and learning that they were utterly too profound for him to comprehend. Have you been there before? Have you been in the midst of difficult providences? Some theologians might even call them dark providences. And you don't have the script of your life in front of you. You don't see what will happen in the end. You only see what's right in front of you. And oftentimes what you see in front of you is dark and difficult. I said to the church this morning in our Sunday school class on God's decree. That from our perspective, it's dark. It's difficult. But it's not a dark and difficult providence In God's eyes, it is what He has ordained for your life. And we would, uh, I think, be quick to acknowledge that God's ways are greater and higher than our ways. Psalm 36 and verse 6, Your judgments are like a great deep. The ways of God are too deep, too vast Way beyond our comprehension. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. For most, if not all of us, the way that we are certain that God is with us in our lives is when all things are well. That is, when our homes are in order, when our finances are in abundance, and when our bodies are without sickness, Then we know that God is with us. We even will say, oh, God is blessing you. But dear ones, it is clear from the scriptures that God often proves that he is with us when all of the aforementioned details of our lives are absent. Meaning that God is with you even when you are sick. That God is with you even when you happen to have little to no money in your bank account. And that God is with you often when your homes are in disarray. Joseph was experiencing difficulty. Joseph was experiencing sore providences. With only this, a confidence that God would turn all of these things for good. Is that your confidence? In the midst of difficulty, do you have this one confidence that God will turn all of these things for good? Could Joseph understand all of these providences? Could Joseph, or you and I for that matter, interpret all of these difficult things that happen in our lives and understand the meaning and purpose for them? The answer is no. Why the death here, Lord? I don't know. Why the job loss here, Lord? I don't know. Why the broken relationship here, Lord? I don't know. Why the loss of finances here, Lord? I don't know. God knows. But for you and I to attempt to interpret them would be a fool's errand. In Psalm 73, Asaph was embittered when he attempted to understand the ways of God. When he began to see wicked prosper while the righteous suffered, he was utterly confused at the provision of God. Why, Lord, are you doing these things? While on the other hand, David said in Psalm 139, to attempt to understand the one who has known and searched me is far too wonderful. For me to consider. David and Asaph could not understand the ways of God. They could not understand the ways of God for pro or for con. What is God doing? Don't you dare try to interpret it. The Puritan William Bates said that because we see everything through flesh and blood, or as he says, through uh, this stick in the water, we are not able to see what the heavenly one sees. And what he means is simply this, we will go to a river or to a brook and we will see a stick in the water that looks crooked, but it's perfectly aligned in God's sight. And dear ones, it is a fool's errand to even begin, to begin to try to judge the works of God. When God works different things into our lives, we automatically seek an interpretation when we don't even know what the end will be. Ecclesiastes 3 says this is an effortless or a a fool's effort. The Lord Jesus says, what I do now, you do not know, but you will know after it is all accomplished. Uh, We must understand that in all matters of life, we may not understand what God is doing until much later. And sometimes we won't even know what God is doing until eternity. That we'll never know here on this side of heaven. And it would be like watching the artist, uh, you know, the one with the afro, uh, Bob, whatever his name is. What's his name? More popular now than he was when he was alive. You know, watching Bob Ross and you see him make a strike and you say, what is he? How, whoa, how did he do that? And at the end of it, you cannot believe that that one strike of his pen or of his brush created all of this. But imagine Bob Ross making one strike. And after the one strike, you say, that looks terrible. Throw that away. Well, he's not done yet. The man with the afro knows what he's doing. God is the master painter. And we must be careful not to judge his works for good or for ill until his work is done. And we are in the midst of his work. And sometimes we would like to abandon the canvas altogether and say, throw it away, abandon it. Brothers and sisters, he's not done yet. Don't let it be cliché but it's true. Don't judge me. He's not done with me yet. And the same could be said about the providences and occasions and occurrences in your life. Don't judge them just yet. It's not all yet complete. Just because we happen to see a few unpleasant brush strokes, we should not and cannot Judge the painting as a waste. We don't know what the end will be. But here's what we do know. Because God is the one painting, it will be good. Because he is the one who is painting, it will uh, undoubtedly be good. It's always good. We must remember, there will always be crosses in our lives. If we think for one moment that we will be able to live a life absent of difficult providences, we're fooling ourselves. Nowhere in all of Scripture is there a promise like that. You'll never go through difficulty, thus say the Lord. Find that one for me, please. It's nowhere there. God has promised that we are, if, if we are his people, then we will face difficulty. But it's for the purpose of God making us more like his son. The selling of Joseph was a disappointing moment in the life of Joseph but it was a moment appointed by God. Because of this fact, you and I can say that even these difficult providences are what God uses to draw us closer to Himself and make us more like Him. Therefore, remember this, even when it appears that God's hand is against you, His heart never is. The Lord disciplines those that he loves. He will prepare the one he loves to make us vessels of honor for his name. And in our extremities, that is when we are stretched as we feel to our limits, God is still at work. And he is working to receive much glory for him and much good for you. God saves his people when we are at the end of ourselves, doesn't he? Joseph is being sold into slavery, but let me say to you this. It was not the end of himself. God was not yet done with him. There is more stretching to be had here. Isn't that true for us as well? We are stretched to our limit as we think. And God says, no, you can go a little bit more. There are times when I'm stretching with my son and we'll we'll stretch our legs and I'll have him stretch forward and I'll pull him. And he'll say, that's enough. And I'll say, breathe. You can come a little bit more. God delivers us, though, when we are in the midst of our sinking like Peter. And why does he do this? To increase our faith. So that we might know. Experientially, but also. Because he had said so, that he will be with us. We, as one Puritan said, we always seek to pluck fruit from the tree. That is not ripe. But God answers God's answer that comes to us is always ripe. It is always mature fruit. John Flavel says, The foolish child will pluck the fruit when it is green, but when it is ripe, it will drop on its own accord and be far more pleasant and wholesome. The intricacies of these providences will one day be our study when we are in heaven. One day we will be in glory and we will, we will be examining all of the twists and turns of God and we will learn that this was God's straight way for us to twist, for us a turn, for God it is His straight way to make us more like Him, to bring us to glory. And then, maybe we will begin to understand the wonders of His mercy. I think in that day, our response will be simply praise and songs of praise. That day, we will understand that God never, ever broke our heart. He strengthened it. He only did all of this to bring us to him and to bring glory to himself. I've said all of this in this first point. So that we might understand that through difficulty, through dark providences, through times that we don't understand, through times that we would have not ordered or ordained for our own lives, this banner over your life remains true. The Lord was with Joseph and the Lord is also with you. Let's go to our second point. God is with Joseph in prosperity. This is verses two and six, two through six. And there seems to be a turn of of events here. Because God was with Joseph, the Lord blessed all that he did. He was in the house of his slave master. Let me say to you, that in and of itself is a blessing. He was purchased by a man named Potiphar. That in and of itself is another blessing. God in his wonderful plan, causes Joseph to be purchased by a man of great power and influence. Joseph could have been purchased by anyone. Joseph could have been purchased by a farmer. Joseph could have been purchased by someone of lower status. But God determined that Joseph would be purchased by this man of great power and authority. And not only that, but this man makes Joseph a house slave. And not a field slave. There were two types of slaves. There was the house slave and the field slave. By the grace and providence of God, Joseph is brought into the house of his master. And everything that he does in the house is blessed by God. Joseph was therefore promoted by God. Joseph was given greater responsibility in the house of his master. And over a matter of, over a a, uh, a time of ten years, ten years, Joseph is given charge of his master's house. The Lord blessed Joseph, and he is growing in uh, favor with men and with God. What was Joseph's secret? Well, Joseph was a gifted man. That much is true. Joseph was an intelligent man. He's being described as also being a handsome man, which doesn't hurt. And he's also well built, which also doesn't hurt. Joseph adapted quickly to this new country. He learned the language. But the secret to Joseph's success was this. That God was with him. That God was with him. The Lord was with him. Spiritually, he was separated from his earthly father. But he was not separated from his heavenly father. God was with Joseph. In Isaiah 43, uh, the Lord says, I will be with you when you pass through the fire. God was with him. Not only this, but Potiphar noticed that God was with him. Uh, This pagan unbeliever. This one who did not worship God, but worship a multiplicity of gods. Notice that the God of Joseph is with Joseph. And there had to be some kind of conversation that Joseph had. That that Potiphar would notice that Joseph's God, the God that Joseph has spoken of, that he is with Joseph. Because everything that Joseph does is blessed by God. Potiphar acknowledges the God of Joseph. This man who was bought as a slave is now in charge of one of the most important houses in all of Egypt. Not only did Joseph prosper, but Potiphar prospered also because of Joseph. Brothers and sisters, we should learn something from Joseph, shouldn't we? Joseph used the gifts and talents that he had been given by God. And he used them all for the glory of God. You have gifts. You have talents. God has blessed you in unique ways. And you have been called to use those unique gifts, those unique talents for the glory of God. Joseph was, think about this. You all have been working in different places of employment. How far does attitude and effort go in your place of employment? Just those two words. How far does attitude? I am here. God has blessed me with a job. And I'm going to do my job well. I'm going to do my job diligently. Do you like lazy people at your job? How about lazy people who also say they're Christians? How about lazy people who sit there in the lounge? Who who don't want to go back to work. And yet at the same time will say, yeah, I go to church. What do you think about them? I think you probably think, like most people would think, this much about them. What do you think about their relationship with God and their faith in God and maybe the church that they go to? You probably think this much about those things. And here is Joseph, just in attitude, doing his job well, doing it to the glory of God, but also in his efforts. Joseph was a diligent worker. There was something about the, the hard-workingness of Joseph that impressed those who were over him that they would say, This man needs to be in a higher position. And each time, because of attitude and effort, Joseph is promoted. Brothers and sisters, attitude and effort will take you a long way. That's a, 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 a worldly principle. Have a good attitude. Work hard. But here's the difference. Get ahead and succeed for yourself. But when you belong to God, it is do all things for his glories that he might be exalted. Here is Potiphar, a pagan unbeliever. And yet he is acknowledging the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why? Simply because the attitude and efforts of this one man. It should be our prayer that God would use us in our jobs. Do you pray that? God, use me as I work. Use me to be a good person of influence and a good person of example in my job. Use me to bring glory to your name. You know there are heathens who are working around you. There are heathens that you go into homes of. They want nothing to do with God but they might see an example of what God can do in in your own life. Potiphar cannot deny God is with this man. And and what is more, that in Potiphar acknowledging God is with this man, it's not a fact that causes Potiphar to push Joseph away. You know the Christians in your job. And you know that there are some people who want nothing to do with the Christians on your job. Why? Why? I don't know why. But just the opposite is true here. Rather than pushing Joseph away, Potiphar draws Joseph nearer. Because Joseph, uh, because God was with Joseph, and because Joseph acted in ways of high character, high integrity, Potiphar promoted Joseph to be in in charge of all of his household. Do you know the one exception? Did you see the one exception? What's the one thing that Potiphar says, but you can't touch this? His food. Don't touch my food. Now, we don't know if Joseph maybe prepared a meal for Potiphar and it's the one thing that Joseph could not do well in his life. But for whatever reason, Potiphar says, don't touch my food though. He's given charge of the entire house. Let me ask you this. Do the people... In your place of employment, know your God is good because of your good work. The life of Joseph was a savor of blessing to those who are around him. Not a savor of death. Not a, we can be an aroma of life or we can be an aroma of death to those who are around us. What are you in your place of employment or to the people that you are around? Are you an aroma of death or life? Do they come around you and when they come around, they cover their nose and they walk away because they can't stand the smell or stench of you? And not because you just stink, but because of who you are. Or when you come, are they happy to see you because of your good attitude, because of your hard work? And... Hopefully, you're able to say, it's because of my great God. And we can actually be a blessing to those who are around us. We often think about Christians being only persecuted. Do you know that you could be a Christian who is actually a blessing to the world around you and not just one who is being persecuted all the time? We can, by our faithful efforts and godly attitudes, which is what we are called to have, be a joy in our places of employment. And be a testimony, therefore, to God. Just this past week, my brother and I were called out to uh, give an estimate to a job. A large, a very large house. And you all know that in times uh, like these, work for people like myself who are self-employed is scarce. You need to take it wherever you can get it. In this large house, the lady said, I just need to know if you're able to get these stains out. And because we've been doing this job for so long, my automatic knowing was, no, I can't get that stain out. I can do my best, but I know that when I'm done, that's still going to be there in some kind of way. So I called the lady and I said, I would love to do this place, but I got to be honest with you. These spots are not going to be up to your expectation and even mine. I would like them to be perfectly gone so that you never knew they were there. And I can tell you this, I cannot guarantee that. Her response to me was, you know, we've moved over the past week, and in the process of moving, we have met so many people who are out for their own gain. We've met so many bad people who have been greedy and have made us promises that they can't keep. Thank you for being one of the ones on the side of honesty. We'll replace the carpet, and I appreciate that. What's more is I'd like for you to come out and clean our place that we have now. Before we move into this new place, would you please come and clean this place? I trust you guys with my home. I said to her that we've been in business for 43 years. And the reason is because we've stand, stood on this principle of, song, of Proverbs 22, that a good name is to be desired more than silver and gold. It was my dad's motto. I remember him saying it more than on one occasion. There have been many times where I would go into a place of employment and they would say, oh, you remind me of your dad. He was such a good man. And I would say to him, you know, he was a pastor. I knew there was something about that man. He was always kind, always generous. And here's what they would say. He always gave me the better end of the deal. And that is how you stay in business for 43 years, even in times when everything is shut down. Because God is with us. And because we do all things with the right attitude and with right efforts for the glory of God. Brothers and sisters, the Lord is with you. And you must remember that you belong to the Lord. And this must be reflected in the way that you conduct yourselves even in the marketplace. You belong to God. Because even though Potiphar was Joseph's earthly master... God was Joseph's heavenly master. And he was more accountable to him than to anyone else. Not only was Joseph a hard worker, but Joseph is one of the few men in all of Scripture that the Scripture describe as being handsome, being well built. And while we might imagine well, that was a great blessing for him, John Calvin sees it differently. Calvin says, uh, essentially, this became a thorn In Joseph's side, we may sometimes look to those who are uh, handsome or beautiful in appearance and say they have no problems. Well, for Joseph, it would become a great problem. This handsome man who was well built caught the eye of a wicked woman who happened to be the wife of his master. Let's go to our third and final point. The Lord with us at all times, even in temptation. This is verses 6 through 20. The scriptures say that it was after Joseph had attained this high position over Potiphar's house that his wife began to notice and make advances toward him. And if you would look at verse 7, please, there's a... An important kind of phrasing that Moses uses here in verse 7. The master's, his master's wife, looked with desire at Joseph. Let, Let me ask you, brothers and sisters, where have you seen someone looking with desire and that look with desire leading them into sin? Why, it was in the Garden of Eden, wasn't it? It was when the first woman, Eve, Looked with desire at the fruit that was forbidden by God. And she would later cause her husband to fall into sin as well. It could be that this woman noticed Joseph for the very first time. That it's the very first time that she's being exposed to him. More than likely, she has been noticing him all of this time. And as she sees him, she is dead set On having him. She covets him. She comes to Joseph and almost pleads with him, lie with me. But Joseph refuses. Now it is important before we move forward that we understand what is taking place or what was taking place. While it is true that God's presence with his people in times of adversity turns their lives into instruments of blessings as we've just talked about in our previous point, It is also simultaneously true that God being with you will turn your lives into targets of destruction. That is exactly what is taking place here. Think about this. What was Potiphar's wife setting out to do with Joseph? To love him? To marry him? Could a woman who had demonstrated such anger and spite be drawn to Joseph because she loved him and wanted to marry him? No. She was drawn to Joseph in order to, to master him. So that he might be just another, another one of her conquests to, to make him sensually hers. For her own pride, for her own pleasure, she intends to destroy the man. His integrity, his faithfulness of the Lord, the covenant that had been made with his forefathers would all lay shattered in ruins if this woman has her way with him. It was not just that there was just one individual woman seeking his life for destruction. It was that the attempts to destroy his life were a partial fulfillment of Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. That the seeds of the serpent would war against the seed of the woman. That there will be constant affliction and persecution to those who belong to God. Deliverance would come. But there would be antagonism and opposition found in every age of the church. And as we have already learned, the powers of darkness may push against the church, seeking to destroy her. But she will never conquer or overcome the church. Satan will never. But this is what is at stake here. Not a single servant giving into temptation but a destruction of one of the servants of God. And you've seen that in your lives, haven't you? Those who have professed faith in Christ being snuffed out one by one as they are being pursued by Satan. What a sad, sad tragedy that is. And each time that we are tempted, in whatever way, May I encourage you to do this. Walk through the Ten Commandments. If you belong to the Lord, understand that this temptation is not incidental or accidental. And Joseph would learn that God was with him through every affliction. But one might say, but this was a temptation. Let me ask you this. Is this Joseph's first temptation? Put yourself, as I did as I was preparing this sermon, put yourself in Joseph's shoes. What would you have been tempted to do up until this point? Let me say to you, my dear friend, Joseph has been tempted in more ways than I could even imagine already. Before Potiphar's wife ever made any advances toward her, he has been tempted to despair As he was sold by his brothers and carried away into Egypt. That's a temptation. He has been tempted to run away, I'm sure, as he was in the house of Potiphar, gain some trust, and then I'm out of here. And here's how wicked my mind is. I'm sure with all the trust that was given to him, that he was tempted to slit Potiphar's throat while he slept. And escape by night. I'm sure that he was tempted maybe to eat. More than he was allowed to eat. To tuck away money that was not his. To worship God's. No one would know. That were not his. In Egypt. To take God's name in vain. When he was brought into the house. Of this man Potiphar. No, Joseph has known temptation, I'm sure. And now he will experience temptation with a new dress. And Joseph refuses. He turns away from it, as he has done each and every time. And we are given insight into the righteous integrity of this man. That's found in his response. Look at verse 8 with me. Behold, here's his response. With me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. And he has put away, or he has put all that he owns in my charge. There is no one greater in this house than I. And he has not withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? You see, Joseph recognized the sin for what it was. This is sin. He does not say, it would be nice, but no thank you. What would be your response when presented or tempted with sin? Would you say, no, this is an affront against the holiness of God. How could I do this to my God? Or do you play with it in your mind? Are you like a little kitty cat who has a ball of yarn, tossing it to and fro? It seems like it would be nice, but I just can't. No, he calls sin for what it is. She belongs to another man, Joseph says. He he appeals to the moral law that was written on her heart. And you know you belong to another man. You know this is wicked. You are His. He puts God's desires before His own. He puts what God says about the situation before what He says about the situation. This is wicked before God. I cannot. To yield to temptation would be a violation of God's command. And notice again that He appeals to the law of God. You are her, His wife. She knew that what she was doing was wicked. This is why it was done in secret. This is why she lies about what, what really happens when her husband comes home. May I encourage you with just a few things when you are faced with temptation. May I encourage you to remember, as Joseph remembered, who he was. When you are faced with sin and temptation, remember who you are. How could I do this? I belong to God. Me, I who worship God. I who have been given so much by God. I who have been blessed by God in so many ways. I who have been called from darkness into light. How could I do this? No, it's not who I am. Joseph lives, coram Deo, before the face of God. Ask yourself, who am I? Who am I? Those who have walked away from Christ and turned to sin, it is because that is who they are. They don't really belong to Christ. They walked away from us to show that they are not of us, John says. Who are you? When sin and temptation come your way, ask yourself this question, who am I? And if your answer is, I am a child of the living God, then you will turn away from that sin just as quickly as it has been presented to you. I belong to God. When Satan seeks to deceive us with temptation, he always seeks to confuse us about our own identity. He said this to our first parents, God is lying to you. He doesn't want you to be like him. When the reality was that they knew who they were, they were already like him. They were made in his image. They were created to worship him, not to worship themselves or ourselves. Who are you? When tempted, remember who you are. I often say to my son, remember, you are my son. And you belong to God. There is a certain identity that we must hold on to so that it might carry us through every season of temptation and difficulty. This is who I am. And let me say to you, if you have not stored up from scripture an understanding of who you are, then it's going to be too late when temptation comes for you to scurry back to your Bible to find out, what did he say I am again? You better know who you are. Little ones, you better know who you are. And you are right now in the process of finding out who you are. Parents, teach them who they are. You will avoid so much heartache and pain. Let me say to you, and let me say to you even older, younger ones... Those of you who may be in your schools, looking at those who are popular, trying to impress them. They won't be around when you're my age. Let me tell you that. They will be long distant memories. Let me tell you that. Most athletic, most beautiful, best dressed. Who knows and who cares now? Find your identity in Christ. Not what the world says you are. That used to be my goal when I was in seventh grade. I I could just get on the, even even the best dress list. Maybe then I'll be somebody. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. She would persist. Satan will persist. Day after day, she's making her advances. And it comes about... That one day the house is empty. Ironically, oddly enough, Joseph comes into the house and the house is empty and she comes to him, lay with me. And his answer is each time, no, no, no. And what did he do? After the uh, resisting of the advances, he begins to avoid her altogether. If she was there, he was not. We need to run from sin and not be around it. Avoid it altogether. I've got this uh, uh, addiction that I'm working through, so I think the best way to beat the addiction is to be around the addiction. No, my dear friend. That is not a way to beat, fight, wrestle with temptation. You don't want to be in the ring with sin. You want to avoid it altogether. But that was his strategy. Avoid it. Of all the servants that would have been in the house, she's devised a plan to isolate him, to place him in a barren house where it would just be him and her. The Bible says in verse 12, she catches him by his garment saying, lie with me. And do you notice that the Bible says in verse 12, and he left his garment, your Bible may say cloak, in her hand and fled and went outside. What does he do? Does he go, here, just just hold this for me. You can have this instead. There's a wrestling match. There is a a tussle. There is a struggle. She's trying to force him on her. And in doing so, he wrestles himself out of her hands to where all she has left is his cloak in her hands. Joseph yielded over his cloak. And it was as if he was being stripped of it. And there is Potiphar, Potiphar's wife, holding the cloak of Joseph as he runs away. The consequences of running were far less than the consequences of staying. He remained God's man. Matthew Henry said, it is better to leave a good cloak than to leave a good conscience. When necessary, dear ones, run! Run from sin! Run away! I heard one theologian say that one of the ways to avoid sin is to have a good pair of running shoes. Run away! Far away. If sin is there, go elsewhere. Run from sin. Save your life. Joseph has fled again. And there is someone other than Joseph in possession of his cloak once again. And there is again someone lying about how they have attained it. There seems to be this running theme of Joseph being stripped and then being stripped and then being stripped. And those who are stripping him are being used by God to strip him. Why? So that they could be used by God to prepare him. We know prepare for what? But she screams as if she's been violated. The servants, they come to see what has happened. She tells her husband, this Hebrew, it's a racist statement, this Hebrew that you brought here has come to take advantage of me. She's being used by Satan to try to destroy this man. But Joseph has something in his favor, doesn't he? God is with him. But here is something else. Joseph has stored up years of faithful servants in the house of Potiphar so that when he is accused i wonder if you notice potiphar's response to his wife yes he burned with anger but he puts joseph in jail do you know what the consequence for this kind of act was joseph should have gone to the gallows joseph should have been hung for this act and there is a sense in which it appears that potiphar does not believe his wife but in order to save his face and hers, he simply puts Joseph in prison. There's, 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 an, there's a sense that, Joe, that Potiphar does not believe his wife and that this might not have been the first time. That he knows about her promiscuity. That he knows that she is a woman who was unfaithful. And let me say this, and it is quite possible because Potiphar, being a man of Egypt, being a pagan, was also an unfaithful man. He takes Joseph. And do you notice that he puts Joseph in prison? Let me say to you that the uh, live action uh, depiction of this movie is not accurate in that he's not placed into a dungeon. Uh, He's not placed into a place where there are rats who are nibbling at his toes. He's placed into the king's prison. It's a royal prison. It would be like uh one of the prisons. I can't think of the name of it now. It would be like going to a prison that is not like going to San Quentin. Uh, it would be more like a federal prison where you are not uh, as much in danger as you would be in some other kind of prison. He's there. And while he is there, God is also there. Joseph could have been tempted to despair. He's done nothing wrong. He's innocent of any kind of sin. And Joseph could have said, I've been trying to follow God faithfully all of my life, and this is the result? That I'm falsely accused? That I'm placed into prison? What's the use? Joseph could have abandoned it all. But that was not the response of this man. Joseph holds on to his integrity. Joseph holds on to his faith in God. The Bible says in verse 21 that the Lord was with Joseph. And that the Lord extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. The Lord was with Joseph. He goes with him wherever Joseph goes. And Joseph does not forfeit his integrity. He does not forfeit his faith in God. And Joseph can go to prison clear conscience that he has done nothing wrong. He can endure persecution with the mind frame of innocence and through it all, the Lord was with him. And through it all, the temptations are necessary. Joseph needed these tests. Why did Joseph need these tests? Because Joseph was being primed and prepared. He was being suited so that he might Be equipped to become the deliverer that God promised that he would be all those years ago. He needed to endure temptation. Listen to how I'm going to say this. He was his father's beloved son. Who was sent away. And he became a servant while he was away. And while he was there, he acted righteously and did no wrong. And yet he was persecuted in his righteousness. He was falsely accused. And he took a burden that he did not deserve. A punishment that was not his. Who does this sound like? It may have appeared that Joseph was going lower and lower and lower. And that would be the estimation of all of us. If we were to analyze and attempt to interpret the providences of God. On this side of glory. But God in His wisdom, as chapter three of our confession says, is providentially bringing Joseph higher and higher and higher. But in order to go higher, Joseph needed to be brought lower. And this is surely what God does with all of His children. He chisels. He breaks. He shapes, he molds, he fashions. So that we might be used to make his name great. And in the process, we would be used for great things. You know that when you make God's name great, you are being used for great things. Do you want the Lord to be with you like he was with Joseph? then ask the Lord to make this verse your response whenever you are faced with sin. How could I commit this great wickedness against God? That is how God will be with you. Ask the Lord to help you to walk in repentance. Remind yourself of the gospel that you believed. Pray for his presence. Pray that you would hate sin as he hates sin. And as I've just alluded to, Joseph was a type of Christ. The favorite son who comes from his father to a new place in the form of a servant. New people around him. He grows in favor with God and with man. Fiercely tempted, but does not fall. Resists every temptation. Falsely accused. Condemned. Placed in a place of suffering. Suffering. But God will bring him out. And God will lift him higher than he has ever been before. Christ is the better Joseph. Christ is the better son, the better servant, the better one who resisted temptation. Because Joseph could have given into temptation. Christ could not and would not ever give into temptation. He was impeccable. And Christ endured all of this so that we might be delivered from our famine and be saved by the bread of life, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And that truth becomes the secret of our lives as well, doesn't it? Because of Christ, God is always with us. Despite difficult providences, despite pressures and temptations, He is Emmanuel, God with us. Let's pray.